Good morning. Man, he's a good father. Amen? It's okay to revel in that, to dance a little bit, reminded of the truth of who he is towards us in all the messes we make. He continues to be a good father. What an amazing thing to worship in his presence. So good to be uh, with all of you. My name is Kondo. I get to serve as uh, one of the pastors here at Mission Point. Again, if you're a guest with us, a special welcome to you. If this is the place you call home, welcome home. So good uh, to be together this morning. Um, We are in the second week of a series that we've creatively entitled Psalms. And uh, we are taking some time to just look at some of the more well-known psalms of the Old Testament. And we get to continue that this morning. But before we do, uh, I just want to make a, a quick note, a quick reminder that two weeks from today, we are having a Baptism Sunday here at Mission Point Community Church. And uh, if you've been around for a while, you know we go crazy um, over baptism. People publicly declaring that Jesus Christ has changed their lives forever and ever and ever. And we get to celebrate with them. So excited um, about those of you who've already signed up to be baptized um, on the 24th of April. But uh, I just want to say to those of you who are following of Jesus Christ and you've never taken the step of baptism. Guess what? April the 24th is your day. It's your time. No reason to wait. No reason to make any excuses. Uh, Now is as good a time as any. Um, And if you're sitting here not sure uh, about whether or not baptism applies to you, listen, if you can say these three things are true, then you need to be baptized if you haven't yet been baptized. If you can say, listen, I believe Jesus Christ is the only one who can forgive my sins and make me right with God. And if you can say, and I've asked him, and I believe Jesus Christ has forgiven me of all of my sins, and it's my intention to live the rest of my life for his honor, then... You need to be baptized if you've never taken that step. You need to take the step of obedience to the command Jesus gives to all of his followers. And we are so excited to have the privilege of celebrating that step of obedience alongside you. So it's really simple. Um, In your worship card, there's a section that tears off. And you can just jot your name down, give us your information um, and the fact that you want to be baptized. Drop that off at the information center. If you don't have a card, you can email us at info at missionpoint.net and uh, we'll be glad to connect with you as we look forward to that Sunday coming up. But um, for this morning, uh, we are going to continue, um, as we said, in the Psalms. And um, some of you will relate to this. Uh, Some of you will be able to answer this pretty quickly. Some of you might have to uh, process it a little bit. But I want to ask the question nonetheless. Have you ever, ever paused and wondered why it seems like Good things happen to terrible people. Um, Maybe it's just me, but maybe you've asked this question yourself before. Um, Have you ever wondered why it seems that people who live like what matters to God just doesn't matter seem to be getting away with it and even getting ahead 
While at times people who are laboring to do the right thing and to honor God seem to be falling behind and just struggling with life. Maybe you've thought about that. I mean, she walked out on her husband for no good reason. And honestly, she looks happier than she has ever been. While I'm trying to do the right thing and I've stuck it out with mm, 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 over here. And I don't even feel remotely as happy as she looks. It doesn't seem fair. He, he, he broke off the marriage and he left the family. Now he's gone, having himself a royal blast while she's left, hampered with the responsibilities of taking care of this family by herself. And on top of that, the kids actually say, we like dad better because he gets them every other weekend. So he gets to be the fun dad who breaks all the rules that she's worked so hard to try and implement over the rest of the time just doesn't seem fair i mean this student i've seen this student cheat on so many tests and yet here he is getting a free ride to his first college of choice well i'm begging to be let into my fourth college option which we all know is, is Bethel College, of course. Um, just saying, the Lord told me uh, to, mention, to mention that. But whatever it might be, maybe it's a promiscuous mom. She just sleeps around and can't stop having babies. We've done everything right, and we have tried, and we have never been able to celebrate one of those fancy reveals, gender reveals, on social media it just doesn't seem right why the crooked employee who cuts corners seems to get the promotion why that candidate we all know is corrupt seems to be doing well in the polls have you ever looked around and just wondered is it even worth it to continue to labor to do the right thing because the people who don't seem to care about what matters to God seem happy and they seem to be moving ahead and they seem successful and they seem pretty happy. Um, King David struggled with that. Um, if you have a copy of the Bible, um, let's see what he has to say about this in Psalm 37. Um, Psalm 37. If you don't have a copy, Charlie will be coming through the aisles. You can just slip your arm up and let him know you need one. He'll get one to you. And um, if you don't own a copy, please keep this one as our gift to you. Psalm 37. David was familiar with this struggle, with this feeling, with this question. In fact, when David is an old man and he's now looking at the majority of his life through the rear view mirror, um, 
I mean, he's, he's lived. He's been a king. He's been a dad. He's been a, a grandpa. Um, and it's almost as if, as a grandfather, he's writing to his grandkids this memoir to give them a, a stern warning and some loving instruction around this very thing. When I was younger... Full of dreams and ambitions, whole life ahead of me, the world at my fingertips. He says, I almost got derailed by this tension. It almost took me out. I almost got sideswiped. If you read um, Psalm 73, in which David is sharing similar thoughts, he says, my foot almost slipped when I thought about this issue. It almost derailed me and kept me from moving forward into all the things the Lord had for me as a king, as a father, as a man after his own heart. It wasn't some ferocious lion when I was a shepherd. No, no, no. The thing that almost took me out was scarier than that. It wasn't the psychotic King Saul who was trying to kill me. No, the thing that almost took me down was more terrifying than that. It wasn't the battles I fought against mighty nations. No, no, no. no. It was actually stronger than that. What almost took me out as I was coming up in life was this inner turmoil over the success and happiness of people who didn't care what pleased God. That drove me crazy and almost drove my life off the cliff. And I picture David as this grandfather almost saying to his grandkids, and because I don't want this same tension, I don't want this same turmoil to derail you, I don't want it to train wreck your lives. I wrote a little song. And it goes a little something like this, and this is Psalm 37, uh, a brilliant poem. In fact, uh, some of the brilliance, most of the brilliance of Psalm 37 is lost in our English language. It's um, actually an alphabet acrostic poem in the Hebrew language, which means every stanza, which is about four lines, starts with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Ascending. That's crazy. I don't know how long it took for David to do this, but he thought it was worth it. Not because he wanted to win some Grammy for composition, but because he wanted to make it easy for his grandkids, so to speak, to remember. So he made it memorable by assigning a letter of the Hebrew alphabet to every section so they wouldn't forget. He went all Roy G. Biv on them, (laughs) right? Which is what? Does anyone know? I'm not convinced. I'm hearing murmurings. What's Roy G. Biff? Yes. Brilliant. Brilliant. Right? I mean, it's how you help kids remember the colors of the rainbow. Right? My very educated mom served us nachos. What's that one? The planets. Yeah, yeah. It used to be mom serving pizza, but Pluto went bye-bye. So it's just nachos now. But these were mnemonic devices that helped our kids learn important concepts. David does the same thing by using the Hebrew alphabet so that his grandkids won't forget the truths he's arming them with if they're going to war against this thing that almost took him down. 
So let's read uh, the first four verses of Psalm 37, and we're going to get a sense in these four verses of the rest of the psalm, and then we'll come back and look at some principles together. Here's what David says, verse 1, do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. Verse 2, for like grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Do not fret, verse 1, because of those who are evil. Um, The idea of fretting, uh, in fact, we'll put this up here on the board, uh, magical uh, electronic board here. It's the idea of working yourself into a frustrated frenzy. It's the idea of provoking yourself into frustration. It's the idea of egging yourself on to the point of anger. And David is saying, don't do that. Do not fret. When you see people getting away with and even getting ahead by doing things that are dishonoring to God, it's going to be tempting for you to get worked up to the point of huffing in frustration. He's saying, don't do that, because if you continue to do that, if you continue to let that happen, that will eventually derail you. It will push you over the edge, and it will prevent you from enjoying God and the things that he's calling you to. It will paralyze you. So do not fret. And so what he he does in the rest of this section of Scripture, and frankly in the rest of this chapter, is he gives some helpful hints uh, on, on how to war against the inner turmoil that can consume us, stirring frustration to the point of huffing in anger. And he gives some hints at how to war against it. And I think this is important for us to lean into because I wonder if some of us haven't found ourselves stuck, haven't found ourselves derailed, haven't found ourselves fractions of who God has called us to be, haven't found ourselves just just inches into the journey that he's inviting us into because it's driven us crazy as we look at and compare our lives to other people who seem to be having it easy and getting away with murder, and it's just driving me crazy. And he's saying, that's going to derail you. And I wonder if for some of us that doesn't explain some of the reasons why we are stuck in the places and patterns in which we currently are, being sidelined. And so he gives us some hints some weapons for this war. Again, verse 1, do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. And the first thing that I think David tells us in warring against this turmoil is he says, hey, don't feed the fret. Don't feed the fret. If you're going to keep from being sidelined by this turmoil, don't 
feed the fret. And David doesn't say don't feel those feelings of frustration. We're going to see next week there's so much room to be real and to be raw with God in moments of disappointment. But what David is saying is don't feed those feelings. Because if you feed the feelings you feel around this issue, they'll soon feed on you. They will destroy you. If you're going to win this war, do not feed the fret. You may not be able to control what you feel about the things you see, but you can control at least what you feed. Um, my, My kids... They, they cannot stand blue cheese, like blue cheese crumbles. It's like a thing at our house. And um, obviously, I'm pausing and asking, Lord, where did we go wrong as parents? But uh, they just, they don't. Um, so anytime I pull it out to make one of my legendary salads, the kids will have this reaction like, oh, ew, gross. Oh my goodness, that's so gross, Dad. I don't even know how you can eat it. And so one of them inevitably is going to come up to me and say, hey, can I have that container? And they'll grab the container from me and then they'll open it, take a whiff, and oh, oh, that's, oh, oh, gross. And they'll be on the ground, like, writhing in pain in some, like, nasal coma. Um, And then the other one will see, like, oh, my goodness. And they'll run over, give it to me, and then they'll open it. Oh, gross. And they're just smelling the blue cheese. I'm sitting off in the distance watching this go down like, we are raising dumb kids. Honey, I'm concerned that our kids will never secure any gainful employment (laughs) at this pace. Ah! Ah, that stinks. And then they'll do it. Let me try it again. Let me try it again. And then they'll open it. Oh, that is so gross. How can you stand it? And I'm sitting there thinking, if it works you up, stop smelling the blue cheese. It just seems like a logical thing to me. And I'm sure it seems logical to you. So I have a question. If her success and happiness is driving you crazy, why do you keep going to a Facebook page? Oh, my goodness. I know all all that dress. I know how she got it, too. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Zoom, 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 zoom. What color is that dress? And I'm thinking, what are you doing? Why are you feeding the fret? By doing the thing you know agitates you, it works you up into this frustrated frenzy. And yet we we do that on a regular basis. The only reason that kid gets more playing time than my kid is because I've heard about his dad. He's a corrupt dude, and I think he's bribing the refs. So what I've done, I have bought a special stopwatch. To keep track of how much playing time he gets versus how much playing time my kid. Why? So I can go and talk about it to my wife and whine for the rest of the week and go on and on about it. That coworker is always sucking up to the execs. Taking credit for work he didn't do while the rest of us labor to do the work. And now he got the bonus. He got the promotion. In fact, he's now on spring break. I've been looking at his Instagram account. And look how happy he looks with his ugly face, right? And I'm like, well, why? 
Why, why are you even following him on Instagram? I've seen how she mistreats her kids. I know how she neglects those children. And yet she can't seem to stop getting pregnant. I've labored and we've not been able to have the same experience. And so I've been, I've been looking at her ultrasound pictures and her gender read. Stop. Don't feed the fret. You can't control what you feel all the time, but you can decide what you feed, what you feed into. That candidate is so corrupt. And so I've been reading up on him and, and everything about her. And I, why? And I've been starting conversations about the situation. And my coworker is shady. I know my coworker is shady. In fact, I've gone around to ask other people, do you think the coworker is shady? And they say yes. And I'm like, I knew it. And I just get so worked up. And I come home and my kids are like, Dad, why are you so mad, bro? You know, and it just gets worse and worse and worse. So don't feed the fret. Stop following your crazy ex whatever on social media. Look at that skank he's with. She's not even cute. She's not even cute. Like, okay, then stop it. You are driving yourself crazy. And if your friends love you, they'll tell you, and you're driving us crazy. Don't feed the fret. Stop staring and studying the lives of people whose unfair and unjust happiness and success drives you crazy or it will drive you off the cliff. Stop smelling the blue cheese. Don't feed the friend. And just to be clear, by the way, um, we will have this experience, and it doesn't have to be a person who is explicitly doing something wrong. It doesn't have to be a person who doesn't care about God. We don't need that to fret. We can faux fret. We do it all the time. Look at her skinny, long Lululemon legs, you know, and she can eat whatever she wants. I just look at the cookie, you know, and you're upset. Don't hate. That's just what it's called, hating. I do this, by the way, it's a true confession. Sometimes I'll look at a preacher and a pastor who just seems m more humanly famous and more well-known, and I'll go and listen to their sermons just hoping they mess up. Like, you say something wrong, say something wrong. Oh, you're really good. You are really, really good. And I just end up feeling insecure and agitated about myself, just working myself into a frenzy. Stop feeding the fret. So I need to remember that when my kids are in their little blue cheese coma on the ground. And then he says something else again in verse 1. Do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. And the idea here is don't fake the feelings. Don't feed the fret, but don't fake the feelings. David goes a layer deeper, and he just calls us out in, in case we're tempted to make what we're experiencing more sophisticated or sanctimonious. He says, don't be jealous. Don't be envious. When you see uh, people who seemingly succeed 
even though they have no moral bearings or principles, you are going to be tempted to be jealous. You're going to be tempted to wish you had what they had. You're going to be tempted to wish you were where they were. You're going to be tempted to wish you were on their spring break and they were in your cubicle. Now, the temptation is going to be to say, jealous, me, please. Oh, jealous, no. I'm just concerned. I'm just concerned about her. If he continues to party on the weekends and have a good time, I'm just concerned about her kidneys or her bladder or her pancreas. I don't know. I'm just concerned. And David would say, no, stop faking the feelings. Call it what it is. You're jealous because if you fake the feelings, you're not able to war against it and actually deal with it. Call it what it is. He said, don't be jealous. Don't want what they have. Don't wish to have what they have instead of them having it. If they don't care what God wants, don't envy them. Don't be jealous. And then he actually gives a sobering reason for us not to feel that. Again, we ought to call it what it is, otherwise we'll never deal with that. And you see that principle throughout the Psalms. When I hid it, it killed me. When I exposed it, Light was able to shine on it. And we'll see that here in a few weeks. But he says, let me give you a reason why you shouldn't feel envious or jealous. Why you shouldn't wish you were where they are. And you shouldn't wish you had what they have. A sobering shift in perspective. Um, Look at Psalm 37 verse 2. He says, for like the grass they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. And I think the principle here is, hey, further your focus. Further your focus. These are sobering words. If you look at the lush and lavish and luxurious life of people who don't care what pleases God. And what you feel most is jealousy, whether you call it that or you call it something else. You have skewed perspective. You have a skewed perspective because it means that the lens of your focus is wrongly zoomed in on the now. Instead of being zoomed in on the soon. And what David is saying is, listen, they may be having a blast now, but pan the frame because soon. Shift the focus, further your focus forward, and you see that jealousy is actually not what you should feel when you look at their Lives. He says in verse 2, for like grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. They may be enjoying the perks and privileges now. But if you further your focus, you see that soon though. They may seem to be getting away with it now, but soon. The Instagram pictures may be getting a, a million likes now, but soon though. Further. Your 
focus. It's a really sobering picture. And he borrows imagery from their context, and they would have understood it. We understand it. You know, it's this, this the picture of springtime, and the rains come down and water the earth, and, you know, the grass emerges lush and green, and everybody is in awe of the different colors that show up. But no sooner has the grass emerged than the summer sun shows up and just overrules the spring and scorches the grass to a brittle brown. Here today, gone tomorrow. Alive and lush today, dead tomorrow. That's the picture he's using, and shepherds would have understood that. And for us, it's kind of like peering in on the spring break pictures of that shady co-worker who has achieved success by less than honorable means. And you start to feel jealous when you look at these pictures of this guy skydiving, selfies, he's smiling, the sun is just shining down on his face, and you're salty in the cubicle just trying to get enough overtime to take your family out for a meal that week. While he's skydiving in the sun. And what David would say is, uh, 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 further your focus. In fact, focus down. What do you notice? Um, well, oh, oh. He doesn't have a parachute. And David's like, yeah. Oh my God. And all of a sudden, your perspective changes when your focus furthers. Because what you realize is the selfie may be one of smiling and the sun is shining down and everything seems so great now, but soon though. This person is heading for a deadly crash. And the point is, when I look at somebody's life in perspective and realize where they're going, I no longer wish to be where they are because I don't want to end up where they're headed. And he says, further your focus. Look at the panoramic picture and see where this thing ends up. And what you should feel is not jealousy. It should actually be horror for that person and their well-being. When what I feel when I look at the life of somebody who doesn't care about God is jealousy, my perspective is skewed. Because I'm focusing on the now instead of focusing on the soon that the scripture pays so much attention to. In fact, the thing David says in this psalm more than anything else is people who are not going after God are going to be destroyed. That's the thing he repeats more than he repeats anything else in Psalm 37. This sobering reminder to us. And, you know, a side note is it's amazing how that would derail us when our perspective is skewed and jealousy is what we feel. That derails us as a church because somebody is not living in any regard for God. And what I feel for them is jealousy. Listen, if I feel jealous about your life, I'm never going to come and offer you hope. I'm going to be too busy comparing to feel compassion for you. But when you realize what's really going on, you are going to start to be the person who is begging, do not get on that flight. Do not jump out of that plane. 
We are going to want to start offering a greater hope to people. And isn't that the power of the gospel? By the way, if anyone is sitting in this room and you have no regard for God, listen, living a life with no regard for God is like skydiving without a parachute. But here's the good news. The gospel says there is a grace in Jesus Christ that can get a shoot to you mid-flight. He's so good like that. If you simply cry out and say, I don't like where I'm heading and I'm so sorry. He has the grace and the power to get a shoot to you wherever you happen to be. But for us as a church, we ought to major in offering shoots to people without them. But that would never happen if I'm too busy comparing and feeling jealousy. But David says, no, listen, further your focus and see more clearly. And it will actually start to affect what you feel when you look even at your ex who messed up your life. Like whatever you're getting away with in this world does not compare to where you're heading. And so I'm feeling more and more compassion. Stirring up in me. Then David uh, gives the alternative. Um, He gives the antidotes to fretting and jealousy. So he moves from negative don'ts and gives some do's. And here are a number of things to practice instead. Look at verse 3. He says, trust in the Lord. And do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Um, The idea here is shift your weight. Shift your weight. Um, Trust is the thought of leaning with my full weight on something. Um, I would illustrate, but I don't trust this flimsy thing enough to lean on it with my full weight. I barely trust this chair. I typically have one security foot on the ground. I don't know its intentions. I don't know where it's been, what it's been up to. So I don't fully trust even this with the fullness of my weight. But the idea of trusting is leaning into something with my full weight. And what David is actually insinuating is we all do that. We all lean into something with the greatest portion of our weight for our happiness, our success, and our well-being. And he's simply saying, whatever that thing is, shift the fullness of your weight onto God. If that's not what it's on, shift your weight onto God fully. It's a powerful concept here. Because what jealousy starts to do, what envy starts to do, is I start to look at the lives of people who seem to be getting away with and who seem to be getting ahead because of disregard for God. And I start to feel a sense of jealousy. And what that starts to do, the way it starts to consume me, is I start to believe the lie that if I had their spring break. And so I spend my energies leaning into The possibility of having what they have. And that's where my weight is leaning. If you find me, I'm constantly talking about this. I'm wishing for this. If that person got busted or maybe got busted up a little bit for what they did, then I would feel better. And so I'm leaning in the possibility of justice being carried out for that person who's wronged me. That's what I'm leaning into. 
I mean, maybe if this person gets a little sick, then they'll learn their lesson. It's leaning, leaning, leaning into whatever I believe will secure my happiness, my well-being, my future. And what David is saying is shift your weight fully onto the Lord. Because everything else will eventually collapse. It will eventually disappoint you. And here's a sad thing for many of us. We've been leaning onto the possibility of my dad finally getting his. And it's been 30 years and he hasn't got his. All that's happened is you've been stuck leaning. And he would say, it's not going to work out for you. It's not going to get you anywhere. Lean fully on the God who is for you. Lean fully on the God who wants good for you. Lean fully on the God who promises to make everything work out for your good. Lean fully on the God who has purpose and a plan and a path for you. Lean on him and see if your life doesn't start to take this beautiful trajectory of hope and success and happiness. Lean on to God. And for some of us, that's what the Spirit would invite us to do. Shift your weight from whatever it is you've been leaning on. For my spouse to come back, or for them to, better yet, (laughs) have an unfortunate incident. And he says, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Will you make the shift. I don't see how it'll work out though. Uh, trust in the Lord, but I lean still. Life, it feels unfair. I'd like to see life feel a little more fair, and that's where your energies have been. I said, lean on the God of justice who will balance every scale. Trust Him and move forward. Shift your weight. Look at verse 3 again. Trust in the Lord, he says, and do good. Um, uh, The idea here is fix a fret. Um, I just, I really feel like that's fun to say, so I wanted to say it. And so I I put it in there. Fix a fret. Uh, See, because you've been whining for way too long about how things aren't working out for you. You've forgotten that you were called to work, to help things work out for someone else. You've been so focused on your own world and what hasn't gone right. You've lost sight of the fact that God created and called you to love others, to serve others, to fix what other people are fretting over. To bring some sense of relief and life into their world. And he uses this term, do good. Figure out what's most beneficial to the people around you and do that. Instead of fixating on what you don't have, fixate on what you can do and help those who don't have. Fix someone else's fret. What good thing can I do for those broken people? Instead of constantly asking the question, you know, why do good things happen to those bad people? Um, Here at Mission Point, this is a huge value, um, by the way. We believe, you know, the church isn't uh, a place to be. It's a family to belong. And and here's the thing about... um, 
family. For family to function well, people in the family have chores. And that's no different in the church. We all have areas of responsibility. We all have things God has wired us with. And the family grows and builds itself up in love. It thrives as each of us start to figure out what threat can I fix in the world of the people around me, in the church and in the community beyond our doors. I mean, can we just talk? Because some of you have been here for a while. And you still haven't jumped in to work, to, to help serve. And can I just say, it's your time. You have gifts and strengths that we need, the church needs, the community needs, but you've got to be willing to jump in and fix a threat. If nothing else, because sitting in here this morning means, and especially if you're part of this church, you've been here for a while, sitting in this room means you are benefiting from the work of other family members who are carrying a load. They helped you park. When you got to the door, they welcomed you. They greeted you. Uh, when I got here this morning, I was welcomed by Megan Zorn. Some of you don't know who Megan Zorn is. She got married last Sunday. I walk into the... And she's the one greeting me. Hey, welcome to Mission Point. Just brightened up my day. She's back to serving already. And for some of you, you were seated by people. You were served by people and so you get to benefit from the work of other people so you know what a blessing it is you know what a blessing it is and can i just say kudos to the college students who serve so well here at mission point because there's been a rumor going around for way too long that college students are just consumers they'll show up and they'll come they'll sit and they'll take and then they'll leave and i'm like did you see the band a little bit ago there were like 25 college students up here I honestly think the only two people here who were not college students as they continue to serve. But we need you. And let me make a quick note to those of you who are parents. Because we need you uniquely, especially as our college demographic um, leaves here in a few weeks. But if you've been here as a parent for a year and you've never served in our children's ministry, we need you to step up. We need you to step in. And, and we get it. It's not easy. And you don't have time. Nobody does. No one's saying, oh, with all the extra time I have, I'm going to fix somebody's fret. No, it, it's, it's a difficult thing. And no one feels competent. People are constantly asking questions. What do I do? What, do I, what if I mess up? Am I doing it right? And you would be among people who are constantly confused as they continue to serve. But we need you to step in. And as parents, please hear me. You know more than anybody else what your dreams and desires and wishes for your kids are, which makes you so qualified to be able to go in and do for other people's kids what you wish other people would do for your kids. And some of you are like, mm, I'm going to serve. I'll spank somebody's kid because... <laughs> 
All right, talk to Gary Haynes about that. There may be a ministry. Libby Reed might give you some exclusive permission to take care of that. But we need you. We can't do this without you. It's not easy. But at the end of the day, you'll be able to rest your head on the pillow. And I'm telling you, I walk out of this room watching people at the end of a Sunday morning just leaving exhausted like, see you next time. They've torn down chairs and they've stripped down things in the kids' wing and people are just exhausted. But at the end of the day, somebody's life is better. A fret has been fixed because they were willing to lean in and use their gifts. And so as parents, we need you. If you've been here a year, when you go pick up your kids, there'll be an opportunity for you to be like, oh, sign, sign, sign. Somebody called me after the first service. You guilted us into serving. I'm like, got to do what you got to do. Um, but honestly, our hope is not to guilt, but to invite you to be a part of something bigger than yourself and see if it doesn't start to shift your focus from all that's going on in your world and see if the Lord doesn't even miraculously multiply your time and energy as is often the story with people who serve and serve and serve. But we need you. So, so step in, fix a fret. The summer um, trimester starts here um, on May 1st, and we need you to be a part of that. Summer, but I'm going to go, I want to be at the lake every Sunday. No, good. So, I mean, you can at least (laughs) dial in in some regard. All right, I'm uh, going to move on. Verse um, 3 and 4, look at what it says here. In verse 4, trust in the Lord. Um, In fact, let's go back to verse 3. It says, trust in the Lord. Um, Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Um, In the interest of time, we're just going to combine a couple of concepts from here. And here's the gist that I want us to get. Uh, I think David would say to us, hey, settle down and water your grass. Settle down and water your grass. The idea of dwell means to settle down. It means to make yourself at home. Um, And this idea of safe pasture or enjoying safe pasture, it's the idea of pouring into your present. Settle down and pour into your present. This is so key for us. And we talked a little bit about this in our study series at the beginning of the year. But David is saying, instead of paying so much attention to where you wish you were and what you wish you had, how about you settle down where you are and make the most of what you have? That's what he's saying. Envy and jealousy spend so much time studying other people's lives and wishing you were on their spring break. It spends so much time studying Pinterest and wishing you could ship lap. It's so much time looking at other people's feeds and wishing your house was as cute as their house. And it's this comparison game. And before you know it, you cannot live because you're constantly looking into the future of what's next and what you wish you had. And if you could do things better and the colors in your house are so last year and you need to update and on and on and on it goes. And what David would say is, hey, instead of obsessing with the greener grass on the other side, water your own grass. 
And see if pouring into where God has put you doesn't cause a flourishing that makes your neighbors jealous about all that's going on at your place. It may not be the biggest house. It may not be the, you know, the the greatest neighborhood. But what he's saying is you can still make the most of it and cause that to be the brightest spot on the face of the planet. Do the best with what you have, where you are now, and see if God doesn't cause things to grow that you never expected. But we're constantly reaching and we're obsessing and and we're busy body looking into everybody else's lives and comparing. Some of you need to get off Pinterest. It's killing you. And he's saying, no, make the most of what you have. I've put you here right now for a reason. This is a call back to faithfulness. Settle down. Instead of restlessly trying to go to the next thing, settle down where you are and water your grass. Let other people wish they were on your greener pastures. And God will start to stir joy and meaning. But in this context, fretting and jealousy goes away. I'm looking at my kids. I don't care about your kid's cute first birthday party. Like your kid cares about his first birthday party. And then he gives one more antidote to fretting and jealousy. And he says, delight in the Lord. Look at verse 4. It says, take delight in the Lord, and he, the Lord, will give you the desires of your heart. The deepest desires of your heart will be yours. Delight in the Lord. I don't like going to the grocery store, just um, ever, mainly. Um, But if I have to go to the grocery store, I pray. I pray. I pray, Lord, would you bless me by allowing me to witness and experience a royal meltdown by a child in the checkout lane. You know, because I find that pretty delightful myself. Don't judge me. You like football. I love kids melting down in, in, the, uh, in the checkout line. It's always fascinating because I'm curious to know how a parent is going to handle it. You know, how they're going to try and diffuse a situation. Are they going to you know, appease a situation? So I, I enjoy watching this thing go down. And you've seen this happen, you know, uh, Parent comes in with a kid in the checkout line. And kids are geniuses, by the way. So the kid looks over and sees a Snickers bar, makes eyes, and falls madly in love. And just knows we must be together. I must have you. My life is incomplete without you. So the kid waits (laughs) until the groceries are on the conveyor thingamajigger. And there's a customer behind us. Now we're hemmed in. Perfect opportunity, Mama. Can I have some chocolate? And a principled mom um, says, well, we're going to be having dinner in about 10 minutes, sweetie, so maybe next time. And the kids over here are like, you might want to survey your surroundings and possibly reconsider that answer. (laughs) Mom is like, ah! Okay, just this time. Kids like, thank you. You said that last time. You know, uh, um, I love you, mom. You're the best. But every now and then you see a rookie parent who I like to, to watch who's like, no, I've got principles. No candy for you. Then the kid, I mean, the room darkens. 
<laughs> the lip starts to quiver a little bit. The knees get weak, and the kid is down on the ground, <laughs> screaming bloody murder. But I want it! I love the chocolate! Give it to me! I must have it! I'm not leaving, Mama! I'm not leaving! You hate me! You hate me! And I'm off in the distance like, yes, Lord, you are so your good, good father. Uh, by providing... <laughs> This little moment for me right here to enjoy. And, you know, we're all there just judging. Like, if I was a parent, I'd have nipped that in the bud. You know, the most ridiculous things we say and think to ourselves. While this kid is just royally melting down on the ground. That is so awesome. Um, But listen to me. Next time you're in a grocery store and you see a kid melting down like that, let that be a reminder to you of what David is getting at in Psalm 37, verse 4, when he says, delight in the Lord. He's saying, throw a tantrum. Throw a tantrum. When something in you even begins to believe that God is the all-satisfier of your soul, let your lip begin to quiver, let your knees get weak, and fall on the ground and throw a tantrum in his presence. I need you, though. I, I want you. I'm not leaving this place without you, God. My life is incomplete without you. I'm not the same when I'm hungry for you, Lord. Give me more of you, more of you. And what the promise is, is God will always say yes to the kid who throws a tantrum if what they desire If what they've locked eyes with is him and more and more of him. David is saying, throw a tantrum. He's been throwing tantrums about a whole bunch of other things. Throw a tantrum and tell God, I want more of you. I've heard you are good. I want to experience more of you. And I'm not leaving until I do. And the promise attached to that is he will give you the desire of your heart. This is really interesting. Because this is not a formula to get God to give you what you want most. This is actually a formula to get God to change what you want most. So that what you want most is actually him and he'll give you all of himself you desire. When you come into the presence of God, this is what David says in Psalm 73. He says, man, my foot almost slipped when I looked at the success of the wicked. But then I stepped into the presence of God and now I was like, whoa. It wasn't justice I ultimately wanted. It wasn't skydiving I ultimately wanted. It wasn't the promotion I ultimately wanted. It was you the whole time. I just didn't realize it. And God shifts the desire and what I want is more of him. And when I turn my eyes on him, the things of the earth start to grow strangely dim. When's the last time you passionately cried out to him and say, may you be what I want most? Now, by the way, if you read verse 5 and 6, God says, oh, don't worry. I will set the record straight. Your dad who abandoned you, I will deal with that. And the people who've smeared your reputation, I will deal with that. I will cause your righteousness to shine for everyone to see. But for you, delight in me and see if I wasn't what you were looking for the whole time. And so, Lord, we pray uh, that you do something miraculous and powerful in our hearts, in our lives. Give us your grace, Lord, that cries out for you, that wants more and more and more of you. Lord, I pray that you would heal the hearts of those who have been betrayed, those who have been wounded. I pray that, Lord, you would simmer our hearts. And as much as we are frustrated over the seeming 
success of other people. But more than that, we pray that you would shift our gaze to you, that we would shift our weight, shift our focus, and come after you and find you to be all satisfying. And I do pray, Lord, that it would change the way your church looks at the people around us, that we would carry hope, that we would carry your message of grace to them. You are good. We trust you in Jesus' name. Amen.